Welcome to KJV Cafe, where the truths of God's Word come alive. Grab a hot cup of coffee or tea and spend some time learning about our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Listen now to Pastor Clark Covington of Heartland Community Baptist Church as he explores great insights from the Word of God. I want to ask you a question today. Are you in love with the Lord? Yeah, maybe you're saved, and, and maybe you are involved in the ministry, but I, I would like to ask you a question. Are you in love with the Lord? Do you love Him? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about love, and we serve a loving Savior, and He expects us to love Him. Amen? Uh, he loved us so much, He gave His only begotten Son, uh, that whosoever believeth in Him shall be saved. And yet, we as Christians, do we truly have a heart for God, really love God? Are we making time for God? That's what I want to talk about here today. You know, throughout Scripture, this is a very important theme. Um, if we live lovingly toward God. Uh, I'm in Genesis today, chapter 4, and we're talking here about Cain and Abel, and we're going to learn a lesson that I bet you most people read and say, ah, this Cain person is so prideful and stubborn, and I would never do that. And yet there could be an element of Cain in you or, or in, in me, anyone, if we're not careful. Let's, let's read here in Genesis 4, starting at verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And it's interesting here in Genesis 4, verse 1 says, uh, when, she, when Eve bore Cain, that she had gotten a man from the Lord. And yet here in verse 2, it says, And she again bare his brother Abel, and does not mention that. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel was a shepherd. Cain uh, was working the ground, a farmer. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So here in chapter 4, uh, you know, something really interesting. It moves very quickly. It says Adam and Eve, they have Cain, and then they have Abel. And then it just goes uh, from verse 1 to 2, and then halfway through verse 2, it's telling us Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. Well, if you're not careful, you'll skip past the whole idea that maybe there was a childhood there. Maybe there was an upbringing there. Um, you know, I look at my kids and uh, my younger kids, they're uh, four and the, the other one's about to be five. Amen. And uh, I said, could they be a shepherd? Could they be a tiller of the ground, a farmer? No, they're far too young. My teenager, he's far too young. Uh, so th this goes to show you that scripture uh, is, is, is not telling us how long it was before they were involved in this work. But we can assume that they were adults and that maybe there was a time that they spent as children honoring God or talking to God. And there, I'll get to why that's important in a minute here. And verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. So here we see in verse 3 and 4 of Genesis 4 that Cain and Abel are making an offering to the Lord. Uh, probably they were prompted by it, whether it was out of um, tradition, whether God had asked them to make an offering, but they brought an offering to the Lord. Uh, and verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. So we see here an offering is made 
verse three, and in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord and Abel. He also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. So we see that uh, uh, in the process of time, Cain brought the fruit of the ground. What's the fruit of the ground? That would be um, a crop, right? A crop of some kind. And Abel, he brought the firstlings of this flock and the fat thereof. So Abel is bringing um, a, a blood sacrifice, a blood offering. And uh, we see here in the end of verse 4, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. And verse 5, And unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. So God makes a discernment here, right? So we see that God has um, received an offering from both brothers, and one offering is accepted, that's the offering of Abel, and one offering is rejected, and that is the offering of Cain. And here we see in verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? As in, why are they mad? Why are you mad? And why is thy countenance falling? Why is your the look on your face looks so sad. Again, if you've ever seen a child and they're being disciplined, uh, you'll see the look on their face. Uh, it could be frustration. It could be disgust. It could be sadness, anger. You get the idea. God's saying to uh, one of his creation, what's going on? And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? Why, you know, why are you mad? Why is the countenance falling, fallen? Uh, verse 7, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou, and thou shalt rule over him. So here God's saying, you know, don't be upset. Don't be mad. If you did okay, you're going to be okay. And if you didn't do okay, that's sinful, and you're going to have to deal with that. And what I think God is saying here is, just go to your brother. You know, look at what Abel did. Yes, he's your younger brother, but he brought the proper offering. Go to him, figure out what he did, swallow your pride, and get involved in that level of an offering. Right, and I think that by faith, if Cain had done that uh, in fear of God and in faith and trusting God in a love for God, wanting to please his heavenly Father, Cain would do that. But instead, what does Cain do? Uh, verse eight. And Cain talked with Abel and his Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So here we have in eight verses, it's amazing, in chapter 4 of Genesis, look at it, just eight verses from when they're born to when one kills the other. And of course, so many messages I'm sure have been preached on uh, concepts like jealousy and, uh, and, and pride and all these things. But what I want to talk to you about here today is this idea of leaving our first love. You know, when Cain brought that insufficient offering to the Lord, he had an opportunity to return to his first love. I mean, if you think of Cain and Abel as young adults or adults and not little kids because they work in real jobs, you know, they probably had a time when they spent time with God. Matter of fact, they're talking to God here in the scripture. So they had a relationship with God. And at one point, maybe they had a loving relationship with God. You got to think Abel did because he brought the proper sacrifice. But with Cain, he no longer had that love in his heart. He no longer... Look, I'm going to tell you something interesting. We had a really interesting drive home from church. We spoke. I asked my wife, I said, are you okay uh, with the message? Do you understand it? Because she looked a little puzzled, amen. And I love my wife. She's uh, she's excellent, asks excellent, excellent questions, and, and she helps me so much. Uh, giving me feedback and giving me uh, just so many ideas as to what I might have missed or what I could address. And I, I love I love my wife so much. I love Sue. 
And she said, well, I just don't understand it. I mean, Cain's talking to God and he disrespected God like that. And she brought up a really good point. You know, this idea that we look at God in such a fearful light, such a holy God, right? And yet Cain was not afraid of him, so much so that he gave the wrong offering, wouldn't rectify it, and then killed his brother because his brother had done right. Uh, what does that say? That says that maybe at that time, their relationship, uh, the way that they approached God was maybe different uh, than how we know God. Uh, because again, if you look at who Cain was, he was the first child, as I understand it, uh, from Adam and Eve. So he was the first created child on earth. Maybe he felt entitled. I don't know. But what we see here is he go, he goes astray. And what we have to be careful of is if we don't love our Lord with all our hearts, if we don't fear God in that sense that we love him and we reverence him, we are in danger of trying to bring God an unacceptable offering ourselves. Amen? Um, and of course, we see that, that if you go on in Genesis 4, that Cain is a vagabond, that the ground is cursed for his sake, that he can't quite get a crop out anymore. His work is going to be hard. He's going to be far off from God. God is distancing himself from him. He's he's separating himself from him, just like Adam and Eve were, were, were kicked out of the Garden even Eden. Now Cain is separated, and, and, and we see this just awful consequence, awful, awful consequence of leaving uh, our love for God, of not having that love for God. In Revelation 2, uh, verses 1 through 5, we see this uh, very clearly in the New Testament. Uh, I'll just read it here, Revelation 2, 1 through 5. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I believe this is Jesus speaking now. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. So Jesus is saying to the church of Ephesus, look, I know you're working, and I know you're laboring, I know you have patience in, in, in what you're doing for me, and you cannot bear the evil ones. You can't bear those false teachers, those false preachers. You point them out. You find them to be liars. So verse 3, and has borne and has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Uh, here Jesus is pointing out the church of Ephesus. They have perseverance. They're persistent. They're working for God. Isn't that great? Isn't that, shouldn't they be elevated? Here it goes, verse 4. Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. So Jesus has some very sobering advice for them that their works were not sufficient, that their rituals were not sufficient, that their discernment was not sufficient, that their church doing good things was not sufficient because they had left their first love. And he, he gives three commands here. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. First, we are to remember our first love. Again, I bring Cain up because I say maybe there was a time that he walked with the Lord, did, and maybe he forgot that. You know, he didn't, you know, when you think about this, when you deal with authority, you deal with God, 
uh, you, you know, you, you can go on his terms and remember who he is and be humble and repentant and on your knees and, and realizing how fearful and mighty and powerful he is and let him guide you and bless you and lead you. Or you can be stubborn and sorrowful and prideful and rebellious and let him deal with you the other way. And uh, I, I believe that's what we're seeing here. So we have to remember our first love. We have to remember that salvation love, amen. We have to remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. If it was only just for you, he would have done it. If it was only just for me, he would have done it. He died for our sins. We have to remember that on the cross. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. I asked my church today, what did Jesus get out of it? What what little earthly thing was he going for? Nothing, amen. He bled and died for us, amen. He, he, he drank the cup of sin, the bitter cup from the beginning of time to the end. He did it, and he had the most brutal death mankind has ever seen. Why? Out of love, out of sacrificial love. So we have to remember that that is our God, that deeply loving God, that precious God, that that Savior that is so sweet to us and that that is so giving to us, that is not not trying to you know do anything unseemly. That is literally doing everything to save souls, to give us a place in heaven, to give us a home that we can't earn, that we don't deserve, that we shouldn't be there, but for His love. That's who He is. Amen. We must remember our first love, and we must repent for leaving him. You know, when we look at why we left our first love, Jesus calls us to repent, you know, and we need to be specific as to why. You know, repentance is not just saying, I've sinned, I'm sorry. It's saying, God, I've sinned. I agree with you that that's a sin, and I want to turn from this. I need to understand what this is so I never do it again. Am I so busy at work that I've removed all prayer time? Am I so busy with this goal that I'm trying to reach, that I've removed all fellowship time? Am I so busy? Am I so frustrated? Am I bitter? Did I get hurt at church? Am I in a gossip situation that's bringing me away from you? Do I have some secret pet sin that I have not confessed of, that I have not repented of, that I continue to engage in? If I developed some worldly habit that is keeping me far off from you, we must repent for our sins. We must return to our first love. Amen. We must be specific as to why we've left him. There's a reason why we've left him. And then Jesus says, now do the first works. We need to go back to rule number one, love the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, and soul, all our heart, all our emotion, all our mind, all our intellect. We need to be in his word, understanding how great he is and all our soul. We need to be so richly in love with him that it just are the ministries and everything else. It just kind of is a byproduct of our love and our fellowship with him. Have you ever thought about it like that? Living for him is, 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 is like making sure we have the love part squared away, right? And then everything else kind of works itself out. Now, we're not going to tempt the Lord. We're not going to say, well, I'm not coming to church today because I love the Lord and I'm just going to be with the Lord at home. No, well, that would be, if you love the Lord, you can't wait to get to church to praise him and to worship him and to lift up your brothers and sisters in Christ, you see? So we get everything right with God and then it's an outpouring of his love in us. And that's how he's able to use us. Because truly the Bible says we cannot do anything good on our own, right? And we're shown that it's not God wanting to use us through us. It's God doing his thing, having his program 
through us removing ourselves out of the equation, amen? It's the Holy Spirit working within us where God gets things done, amen? You're listening to KJV Cafe. As you learn the great truths in God's Word, we encourage you to take the verses mentioned in this episode and study them. Trusting God will open your eyes to a deeper understanding of Himself. Now here's Pastor Clark with the rest of today's message. Uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You know, there's sweetness to God's love. Uh, it's so amazing. And when we look at, you know, what God uh, taught, you know, when he mentions love and how we might be able to wrap our minds around it, we can look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and we can look at a little deeper of this idea of love. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, love being the greatest gift. Uh, King James Bible here mentions charity, and charity is that sacrificial love. It's that idea of giving without hoping to receive anything. I asked the church today, have you ever gone soul winning because you want to go to lunch after? And everybody just kind of smiled because, hey, they might go knock on some doors because they're looking forward to the buffet. And look, I guess it's still good we knocked on some doors, but we're looking to get something. Amen. You understand? Jesus was looking to give something. That's true love. And we see in 1 Corinthians 13, this deeper idea of love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or as a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And then, Verse 13 goes on to some aspects here of charity. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself, itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest, uh, greatest of these is charity. Amen. First Corinthians tells us a lot about love and about that charitable, sacrificial love. We see it. We see seven traits, interestingly enough, the number of completion, seven traits that are People might associate with love, but alone, without charity, they're not. Singing, uh, being authoritative, prophesying, wisdom and understanding, faith, sacrificial giving, martyrdom. You know, you see someone that gives a lot, uh, and they might think that they are exhibiting love. Uh, and there's some parable in the Bible about that, where some uh, couple gave some land, and they lied about how much that they had and so forth, and they were both killed instantly. Uh, martyrdom. You know, you might think that, hey, if I die for the Lord uh, and secretly you don't have love in your heart, uh, that you're going to win his favor. You won't. 
wisdom and understanding. You can have intellect and still not have God's favor. You can have authority and even faith, which is really surprising what underpins so much of our belief and what really, I believe, wins the heart of God uh, is faith, right? Well, we have faith, amen. Abraham was justified by faith. But if we have faith and we don't have love, let's say, oh, I believe in God, but I'm bitter, right? <laughs> like Cain, he obviously believed in God. He was talking to him, but he brought an in, uh, uh, unaccepted offering. And then he refused to rectify it, refused to repent. Uh, you know, so, so faith alone is not enough. You have to have love. And then we see the traits of love, being patient, uh, not envying, not prideful, not behaving badly, not selfish, not easily provoked, not thinking evil, not enjoying sin, but enjoying truth, uh, bearing and believing, hoping and enduring in all things, and never failing. And that reminds me of Jesus, Amen. That's a picture of Jesus, amen. He was patient. He could have easily wiped out these Pharisees and scribes as they try to tempt him and trap him and all these things. He didn't envy. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus did not have material wealth? Have you ever thought about that? You know, we say we want to be Christians. We want to be Christ-like. Do you really? Are you prepared to not have a place to lay your head at night? Are you prepared to not have a penny to your name? Are you prepared to suffer shame and reproach? Are you prepared to look at others and, and in your age group or your class and say, oh, they have everything and I don't have anything, but I have Jesus, I have God, I'm obedient to the Father, amen? Uh, enjoys truth, does not enjoy sin, uh, does not think evil, is not easily provoked. We all can be easily provoked. Uh, and believes and bears and hopes and endures all things, goes through it all and is never failing. That's our Jesus, amen. And that's the kind of love that the Lord, I believe, is looking for us to have with the Savior, that love that that, that we're patient and we're not selfish and that love where we're not provoked. You know, if God chastens us, we just say, Father, please, you know what's best. Thy will, not mine. Amen. That we enjoy the truth of his word, even when it steps on our toes, that we realize that he's never failing. You know, what will love alone accomplish? Everything God wants us to do. I want you to think about that today. Love will accomplish everything that God wants us to do. So if we have true love for Jesus and we focus on that and we carve out that time to pray to the Lord and we carve out that time to, to, to be close to God and we, we have that, that, that way about us that is all about the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. When we have that, that everything else works itself out. I believe that. Amen. The tendency we have is to substitute ritual and works for true love. You know, have you ever thought about that? Ritual, going to church and going through singing the hymns and even testifying or going through and, you know, on Saturday soul winning or going through to revival and, hey, I made it to every night at revival. Did I impress God? You know, ritual, right? Or works to say, oh, I'm going to go into printing ministry or music ministry or uh, school ministry or prison ministry. I'm doing all these works. Did I impress God? No. Why do we do these things? Because sometimes to be ritualistic and to be working, sometimes it actually brings more comfort to us than being uncomfortable and just being still and knowing that he is God. Being still and saying, Lord, reveal to me what's standing in the way of us today. Being still and reading his word and knowing every single bit of it is true. That is the tendency that we have to get into ritual and works and we see it in our lives, we see it in other people's lives, and we must be careful that because that will keep us from God. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't earn favor with God by our works. Again, he, the Lord took time 
writing through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 to really show us that all these things that we looked up to in the faith, wisdom and and martyrdom and, and sacrificial giving and all these things, that they are worthless without a pure love for the Lord. You know, we have to look at, uh, if we were in a relationship, I heard a preacher uh, make this example, that if we were in a relationship that was based upon works, if we were in a relationship where maybe we were dating somebody that just loved us for our money, or we were married to someone for that, and if we had to earn a lot of money, well, what happens when we run out? Well, they'd leave. Or someone that loves us for how we look, well, what happens when we change how we look? They'd be disappointed or they'd leave. You know, go on and off. If we are in a relationship for something that we have to do, it would never work. And with God, we'll never have peace that way. We're never going to uh, outwork everybody else and say, oh God, we, we're the best, we're the most worthy. No, no, no. Uh, he loves us while we were yet sinners. He loves us. He loves us. He knows the, the, the world we live in. He knows the context that we live in. And he's saying, just get close to me and stay close to me. Amen. That, 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 that it, understand what Jesus did. You know, the Bible talks about no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Amen. I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I'm talking about here. God, our Father, the Heavenly Father of the Holy Trinity, sent his only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And then when we accept that, that the, the propitiation for our sins, the full payment, when we accept that, we are saved, right? And then we receive the Holy Spirit. And then we must just look at what true love is and reflect on how great he is and get time with God to praise who he is and to be in fellowship with him. And when we do all these other things, right? But we don't have that love. We are in danger of leaving our first love. And just quickly here for time's sake, what happens when we leave our first love? Oh, goodness. Well, we can have our candlestick removed. Lord could take us home, right? Some Christians say, if you're sinning, will you get to heaven? Yeah, you might get to heaven earlier than everybody else. And that's a whole other message as to why it's good to be here longer, why it's a blessing for the Lord to extend our lives. Uh, but generally speaking, it's a blessing because we can earn more rewards uh, in heaven by doing our, our good things for him here. Uh, through the working of the Holy Spirit, we can be of service to our God here. And uh, we can be a blessing here. And uh, yet, He'll take away our candlestick. The timing of your return. We always talk about the timing of Jesus' return. What's the timing of your return? Will he take your candlestick? Will you prove unprofitable enough in that your love is not properly with him that he calls you home early? We must remember who he is and repent. He, they put uh, The Lord puts a repent twice uh, in the Revelation verse there. Revelation 2 verse 5, the Lord puts repent twice hey, I think that that's in there for emphasis. I think that's in there to say, just in case you missed it the first time, here's another one for you, repent. And that means to come to God and admit that, hey, we've fallen short. Hey, we've gotten too caught up in things. You know, and I, I, sometimes it's hard for me to uh, preach on this without thinking of it personally, amen? Because as I told our church today, I believe this message, I believe that uh, this scripture here will convict even the most saintly people out there, even the ones that you would say, those people are totally on fire for God. You know, if they really thought about it, they might need to take a minute and, and uh, repent. They may, may need to take a minute and return to their first love. We all do, amen? We all do. We all need to look and say, you know what? Our, the Lord wants us to love him 
more than he wants us to be about his business in this world. Because if we're about his business in this world and we don't have love for him, we're unprofitable. And that's what I believe we need to hear today, that we need to get back on fire for God. But that starts in the prayer closet. That starts calling out to God in prayer. That starts in that time of fellowship with God. That starts in the study of his scriptures and rightly dividing. That starts in just having that heart for God. And then the rest of everything will start to come out. Watch. You try this and watch and see. And you tell me this doesn't work. You get close close to God. You draw nigh to him and watch that he doesn't draw nigh to you. He will draw nigh to you and you will start seeing him working in your life like you haven't ever seen him work before. But step one is to get close with God. I hope I've made the case for that today. I hope the Lord working through me has made the case for that today. I love the Lord and I thank you so much for listening today. And I just want to leave you with this idea that, that we need to return to our first love, that we need to show God that we appreciate him, that we understand who he is, by being still and being in prayer and spending time at at the altar, being with him is the most important thing we can do as Christians. Because when we do that, we are embodying uh, the love of Christ within us. We We are recognizing it, we're embodying it, and then he can use us in a great and mighty way. And, and that's what I, I believe the heart of many Christians is today, is can God use me? Can God do something with me? Or what's his will? And you know what it all starts with? Getting back to that first love relationship and not going it this way or that way, but being on that narrow path. Thank you for listening. Thanks for visiting the cafe today. Our goal is to inspire you with the truth and depth of God's word in a straightforward manner. Do you know Jesus? You can today. Visit kjvcafe.com to learn more about God's great plan of salvation for all of mankind. Until next time, remember, as Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 puts it, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.